Good afternoon, everyone. So, Agon Chodesh, Mishenechna Sador Marben Besimcha. And I know the prospect of having to be happy makes people very anxious and very nervous. They have to be happy. Most people, they prefer Av, they like walking around with a frown, they like to be a grouch. It makes them feel better. They could vent their frustration, and then the thought of having to actually smile and to move their mouth in a more of a vertical position gets people very worried. So I'm here to tell you a very special leniency, how to get out of this mandate of being happy, at least for a few more hours. Reb Chaim Kenievsky writes that since it says, Mishenichnas Adar, it's only when Adar begins, but the first day of Rosh Chodesh is still Shavat, so you could continue being a grouch for a few more hours, if that makes you feel better. Now, let's begin by talking about this book, The Concealed and the Revealed. So you say, I bought it last year. First of all, you, you don't know where you put it. Second of all, you gave it to your son-in-law, so he didn't even read it yet, okay? And he doesn't know where it is. So you could not only buy it, you could give it to him again, because he's not going to remember that you gave it to him. And you need one for your own house. And then for all your Shalach Manas. Now I don't have enough for everyone to put in all their Shalach Manas. So uh, first come, first serve in the back. It's, it's, but it's really very good. If you haven't uh, seen it, it will revolutionize the understanding of Purim. Let's go straight to the end of the story. The Megillah ends with the following Pasuk. Ki Mardachai Yehudi Mishneh Lamelech HaChashveroish most Jews liked Mordechai, which is as good as you're going to get if you're a rabbi. Okay? And he speaks peace to his nation and he expresses shalom to all of his descendants. That is the appropriate ending for Megillah Sester. We're talking about the greatness the power, the eminence of Mardachai. Now, let's talk about not the second to last Pasuk in the Megillah. Anybody know how do you say second to last in English? Penultimate. Penultimate, very good. This penultimate. Now, the question though is, who knows how to say the third to last? Anyone? Almost. The anti- Penultimate Pasuk of the Megillah. Okay, so you learned something today. The anti-penultimate Pasuk of the Megillah is the first Pasuk of Parakyad. That Achashverosh taxes the people. That is how the Megillah basically ends. You know what the grand finale of the Purim story is? Achashverosh taxes the people. And the question is, who cares? Why is this in the Megillah? Why does the Megillah need to incorporate, need to include the financial plans of Achashverosh? Especially in light of the very next Pasuk. The next Pasuk says, Number three on your sheets. Asher Hamelech. By the way, there is a psaq of the Yushalmi that you could lay in the Megillah on the whole Adar. So if you don't make it to Shul, we're gonna, 
you'll get it today. The Megillah ends. And all the strength and the power and the intrigue and the majesty of Mordechai that the king raised up. You want to know about it? You want to know about the historical context? You want to know about the palace intrigue? You got the wrong book. Haloyheim kesuvim b'sefer divrei hayamim. It is written in the book of Chronicles, the Chronicles of Persia Media. This is a very difficult pasuk. What does the Megillah want us to do? Is the Megillah telling us you want to know the rest of the story? Go to the repositories of Persia Media and open up big volumes and read the rest of the story. Why is the Megillah referring us to the Chronicles of Persia Media? Says Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky, the Megillah is articulating the most important theme of the Megillah. Namely, nothing in the Megillah was written for historical information. Nothing is given to get a better understanding of the times. You want to know the history, you want to know the context, you want to know the intrigue. Wrong book! This book was written for one reason and one reason only. Persume Nisa, to magnify the miracle. Well, in that case, why does the Megillah conclude in the anti-penultimate Pasuk that Achashverosh taxes the people? So I want to share with you an approach to Megillah and an approach to not only Megillah's Esther, but really all of Jewish history. And we really need to keep our eyes open to see this manner of hashkacha in the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. The Pasuk says as follows, The king says, who's in the courtyard? We all know that Achishverosh couldn't sleep at night. He was tossing and turning. The Medrash says, Gabriel came and he banged Achishverosh's head on the floor 300 times. And by the way, I just that could be very disturbing. You know, if you're in the middle of sleep and an angel comes and starts smashing the head against the floor, it's not so easy to sleep that way. And Achishosh is tossing and turning, and all of a sudden, Achishosh thinks maybe Haman is in cahoots with Esther to try to kill him, and sure enough, who's in the courtyard? Haman was coming. To the outer courtyard of the king. To say to the king, Lisloi ses Mardachai, to hang Mordechai. You ready? Al on the tree. Asher That he prepared for him. Literally, that Haman prepared for Mordechai. Asher That Haman prepared for Mordechai. And the Gemara is bothered. There's an extra word in this Pasuk. It should say, Al on the tree. Asher That he prepared. Why does it have to say, that he prepared for him. Obviously it's for him. So the Gemara Darshans. Tana, all you need to know is three lines of, uh, three words of Gemara. Tana, look at number six. Heichin loy, he prepared for him. Tana, it was taught, loy heichin. He prepared it for himself. He made it for himself. Haman thought he was making it for Mordechai. But in reality, Haman was digging his own grave. He was making the gallows for himself. Now this is not just an isolated incident in the Megillah, but rather we're going to see, this is a vista to understand in a prism, how the entire hashgacha 
of the Purim story will unfold. That the Rebbeinu never says, Oh, Russia, I'm going to strike him down with lightning. The Rebbeinu says, You give me the plan, you give me the machination, you give me the scheme, and I will co-opt it and hijack it and utilize it against the Russia. We will say in two weeks' time, You and your great mercy, God. You foiled their counsel. The Kilkalta es and you corrupted his scheme. What is Eitzah and what is Machshava? Eitzah is a plan that is executed. Machshava is an idea that never comes to be. Case in point, Rabois, Machashavois, Belevish, man has many plans that never come to fruition. Fa'atzas Hashem Hisaka. Eitzah is that which comes to be. Machshava is just an idea. But we say as follows. Rebunisham, not only were you Hefarta Esatsasai, not only did you foil the plan that Haman wanted to execute, but Kilkalta Esmachshavtai, you corrupted his scheme. You took his plan, you took his machination, and you hijacked it to bring about the exact opposite result that Haman intended. Let's give one example. Haman speaks to Zeresh, and Zeresh says, Yasuez Gavaya Chamishim Ama, don't lean it, okay? Chamishim Ama. 50 Amais tall. How tall is 50 Amais? According to the Chazoinish, 100 feet. What, what do you do with a 100 foot gallow? Why would you hang someone on a 100 foot gallow? Anybody know what is the height that a person could see up till in Halacha? 20 Amais. You can't put Ner Hanukkah above 20 Amos. Nobody looks there. You can't have an Erev above 20 Amos. Nobody looks there. So what's the purpose of having a gallows 100 feet, 50 Amos tall? But Haman's plan was as follows. Achashverosh is schizophrenic. The man can't make up his mind. One day he likes him. One day he likes her. He's getting angry. He's calming down. He's raising the taxes. He's lowering the taxes. He's asking the assembly. He's asking Charvoino. He's asking Mamuchan. So the only way to get anything done with Achashverosh is in a fit of rage. Achashverosh will see a monstrosity of an eyesore glaring at him in the face. And he'll say, Haman planned on getting Mordechai, getting Achashverosh angry at Mordechai. Achashverosh will say, oh, what should I do with him? Oh, there's a gallows right there. Hang him. That was the plan. In a fit of rage, Haman was going to get Achashverosh to get angry at Mordechai. And that's what backfired against him. Haman took one misstep with Esther. Achashverosh comes back into the room. So if Achashverosh has ten minutes to think about it, Haman could say, I tripped, I fell, it was her fault. He could have come up with any alibi in the world. But in a moment of rage, Charvonius said, Oh, look at the gallows! So Achashverosh says, Tulu Olaf. An hour later, he would have uh, changed his mind. So the, the precise plan of Haman backfired against him. Let's start from the very beginning of the Chumash and show how this type of Hashkacha is really a common theme, how the Rebbe Hashem operates. So there's a man by the name of Moshe. You ever hear of him? Moshe Rabbeinu? You learned about him in Beis Yaakov? Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, right? You know what I'm talking about? 
You don't find this funny. Okay, good. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was born on what day? Zainan. Okay. What was significant about that day? Paroi gets, uh, convenes an assembly, and they say, Pharaoh, we've got a word. We looked up into the stars, and we see, Moshiach Shal Yisrael, the savior of the Jewish people, will be born today. We don't know if he'll be Jewish or if he'll be Gentile. So you're going to have to drown all boys today. So the Pharaoh issues a decree. Call Haben, Hayiloid, Hayoira, Tashlichu. Any boy that's born, throw him into the river. Even the Egyptian boys? Yeah, even the Egyptian boys on that day. Yes. Now, when I, I once spoke in Phoenix. So they took me to an uh, aquarium. And there was an exhibit there with an albino crocodile. You don't want to meet face to face with an albino crocodile. I'll tell you what happened. So the trainer comes, he has on a stick a slab of meat. Okay? The albino crocodile is 10 feet away. The trainer claps his hand, goes like this. The albino crocodile, who is stoic, he looks like he's a rock, snaps so fast at that piece of meat and goes back to his spot that it's too fast for your eye to see it. And you say, what just happened? The meat isn't there anymore. So if you wonder, what do you call a baby floating in the Nile River? Call him lunch. Call Haben. Why why in the Nile? The Nile, they're snakes, they're alligators, they're crocodiles. And that's what happened to almost all the boys who were thrown into the Nile. That was the Pharaoh's plan. Call Haben Hayil Hayor And the Rebbe was looking down at Shamayim and he's laughing. He says, Pharaoh, you think your plot will eradicate the Savior of the Jewish people? Watch this, Pharaoh. There'll be a woman bathing in the Nile. Rashi says she was being Megayar. And she's going to hear, she's going to hear a kid crying. She's going to have mercy. She brings the kid into that palace. That night, the Pharaoh can't sleep. He says, Basia, what's the noise from your room? You had a baby? You didn't tell me. Mazel tov. Nah, I found him. You found him? Where'd you find him? I found him in the, in the Nile. You find him in denial? Paro was in denial. How could that be? Right? I made a decree. No, he was so cute. He was so adorable. Come, you know what? Dad, I can't really sleep. He's been crying for two hours. Would you mind holding him? Would you mind rocking him? So the Pharaoh is, you know, rocking this little kid to sleep. And then they have nothing to feed the kids. So Basi says, hey, Pharaoh, you know, where's the formula? Uh, we don't have formula here. So she says, go out to CVS and get the kids some formula. And I don't have any money on me. Uh, Pharaoh says, now nah, use your American Express card. And Paroi goes out in all the night. He gets formula for Moshe. He gets diapers for Moshe. In all seriousness, who raised Moshe Rabbeinu? Paroi. In fact, the Ibn Ezra writes, why did Hashkocha have it? That Moshe Rabbeinu should grow up in the palace of the Pharaoh? Says the Ibn Ezra, if he would have grown up with the rest of the Jewish people, he couldn't be a king. He couldn't be a melech. He would have had a slave mentality. He would have low morale. He needed to learn tachsisei malchus. So if Moshe came home and his tie wasn't straight, Pharaoh said, kid, you're going to be a king one day. You have to look the part. Pharaoh taught Moshe to be a melech. If not for Parai, there would be no Moshe. There would be no Torah. As you know, it says in Perkei Avos, Parai kival Torah misinai. Seriously, without Parai, there would be no Torah. 
We would not be here today. There would be no Talmud Babli, Yushalmi, without the Pharaoh. So, just think for a moment. Paroi thinks his decree will eradicate Moshiach and Shal Yisrael. No! Paro's decree created Moshiach and Shal Yisrael. If not for the decree, there wouldn't have been Moshiach and Shal Yisrael. The Gemara in Sanhedrin calls this the following principle. Menei ubei Abba, Nezobei Nagra. From the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. You have a forest. You're a thousand trees. Next day, they're all knocked down. Who knocked it down? The forester. With what? With a blade. Where'd the handle come from? The handle came from the forest itself. That's the way the Ribbon operates. The Gemara brings, there was a Navi by the name of Oivadya. Oivadya said the shortest Nevuah in the whole Tanakh. He said one parak of Nevuah. Oivadya, the Haftarah Pashas by Yishlach. What did he prophesy? He prophesied... My wife told me it's not prophecy. He prophesied the downfall of Edom. Why him? Says the Gemara. Because he was a convert from Edom. Therefore, who's going to prophesy about the downfall of Edom other than a Ger Adoimi? Because from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. Let's apply this to the Megillah. Ready? Fasten your seatbelt. Does anybody know? What did the documents to destroy the Jewish people on the 13th of Adar, what did they say? You'd be surprised to discover, if you look at number 23. <speaking in Hebrew> So seemingly the document said, they sent the documents out in the hands of the runners. I think, by the way, I think we should go back to that system of mail. I think it might actually be quicker than the, the postal service. Maybe we should have like runners. I mean, that's got to be better than the system today. But anyway... It said, Lahashmid, Laharoig Uliabid. And if you look in the next Pasuk, look at the next Pasuk. Pas Shagan Hakisab, number 23, Pasuk Yadad. What does that mean, Lehiyois Asidim Layem Hazeh? Be ready for that day. And what's going to happen on that day? doesn't say. It just says, be ready. But the Pasuk before said, they're going to be annihilated. And this Pasuk says, just be ready. Says the Vilna Goyen. There were two sets of documents. One set of documents was sent to the governors, to the mayors, to the officials, letting them know the inside scoop that on the 13th of Adar, they will annihilate the Jewish people. But Haman was so circumspect that word should not get out to the Jewish people what's going to happen on the 13th of Adar because if we ever get wind that we're going to be annihilated on that day, what we would do would be, we would be Mekayim, the Pasuk in last week's parsha, Ki Hasha Echad, Ya'aver We would pay off. We would go to the, you know, we would go to them. We would give them a Shalom Aleichem. We would schmaltz their palms of their hand. And we would get out of, we would, we would give Shoichad and we would get out of the situation. 
So Haman did not want to let it be known what would happen. So therefore he sent like this. To the governors, to the officials, he sent secret word, Lahashmid Goliabed. But the Pashkavilan, you know what the Pashkavilan are? You know the posters, like in English the word is um, broadside or something, right? The broadside would say that be ready for the 13th of Adar. And people ask, what's happening on the 13th of Adar? Is a new book coming out? Is a, what's happening on the 13th of Adar? It just said, beware of the Ides of March. But nothing was specified because Haman didn't want us to get wind of what would happen and then we would use influence to abolish the decree. But look how this tactic of Haman backfired in his face. Because when Esther reveals herself, and Esther says, you know, I'm a Jewess, and Ish, Sarve Oyev, Haman Harazeh, this wicked man, he's tormenting us. Sachazer said, what do you want me to do? So she said, I want you to rescind the decree. Esther said, I can't rescind the decree. I signed it. I sealed it. It's delivered. I can't retract. So Esther says, wait a second, my dear fool of a husband. Let's look at the text of the document. Look at number 26. Pas Shegen HaKesav. It only said, be ready for that day. So let's reinterpret it. Instead of us being killed, we'll kill our enemy. Yeah, I didn't realize that Ahama never put into the document exactly what would happen. So now we could just tweak the meaning and... The Jews could take revenge against their enemy. Now I'm going to give you my second most favorite example in the Megillah. Okay, this is out of this world. So let's have to take you back now to uh, ancient Persia. To give you an example, who's the guy in in, uh, Iran today? What's his name? Khomeini. Yeah? Let's say his wife didn't listen to him. What do you think would happen to her? He would take whatever little uranium he has in store, and you wouldn't even hear about it. He probably does this on the hour. Do you think he convenes a Congress and they take a vote what he should do? No, no. That's not what they do in Iran today. And I guarantee you, They didn't do that in England 200 years ago. And in Persia 2,000 years ago, if if somebody didn't listen to the king, the king moved on. Why is Ahasuerus asking the advice of Chachamim Yoidei Ha'itim? Vayoymer HaMelech. Remember this? Lachachamim Yoidei Ha'itim. Why is he asking their their advice? Says the Vilna Gain, listen carefully. The Pasa continues. Kichain... Remember the words? Devar HaMelech. Lifnei kol yoidei. Let's focus on those words. Kichin Devar HaMelech. That was the law for the king. The Vilna Goyen explains as follows. The king could make unilateral decision. 
The king never asked anyone's advice. But the law in Persia was, if it's Nogea the king, if it's relevant to the king, the king can't call the shots. Kichin devar hamelach. If it's relevant to the king, the king can't make the decision himself. So I have one simple question. Fast forward to the end of the story. Haman takes a misstep with Esther. He ends up al hamita asher Esther aleha. The king comes back in. He's furious. Chavoyna says, Remember? Gam. By the way, the Mepharshim say, Why? Begam Chavoyna Zochelatoiv? Chavoyna was a bad guy. He did one good thing. He said, Gam. Vigam Chavoyna. Vigam of Chavoyna should be Zochelatoiv. Anyway, Chavon says, "Gam hineho eit asher Haman." It's standing right there. Oh, Achshavos says, "Great, Tulu, I love, hang him." How can Achshavos make that decision? It's relevant to him. Why does Achshavos not have to ask the Chachonim Yoide Ha'itim? Isn't that a contradiction? In the beginning of the story, Achshavos can't make the call. Kichain devar hamelech. He has to ask the advice of his advisors. Why at the end of the story is he calling all the shots? Ah, there's new, you have an answer? He's only one guy, I mean, you know. I mean, who's that, you know, Joe Biden's um, uh, speaker to the media, right? Press secretary. Yeah, she's going to tell him what to do and he's just going to listen without an official, I mean, Chavon is one guy, he's one guy. The legis- listen to the following legislation of per- in Persia. This lady ain't just messing with you. He's messing with all us men. So let's make the following rule. Look in number 40. These are the words of Memuchan. You ever think about what does that mean? Until now, you can't make all the calls. Memuchan said, are you kidding me? This law is insane. You're the king of the world. You can't make calls if it's relevant to you. From now on, you make all the calls. New legislation in Persia. Who passed this law? Memuchan. Who's Memuchan? Haman. Thank you, Haman, for digging your own grave. Now when Achashverosh gets angry at you, he doesn't have to go to the Chacham Yodeo He'll make the call. He'll say to Lualav, and you just now. Haman passed this legislation because he had beef over here. He had something in it. He wanted Vashti to die because he wanted Achashverosh to marry his daughter. And if you look in Targum Sheni, if you look in Targum Sheni, Targum Sheni says, Achashverosh tried out Haman's daughter. And to put it nicely, the Targum Sheni says they hadn't yet invented Listerine. Let's put it that way. And he wasn't happy. The Medr says, the Targum, you can look in the Targum, says that Hashem had come out, Mipiha Reach Ramaoi. So Haman's plan was to pass this legislation 
so that to advance his own cause. But meanwhile, this legislation that Haman passed dug his own grave because now when Achashosh gets angry at him, he doesn't. If Achashosh would have calmed down and asked the assembly, they would have said, "Who says he intended it? Maybe it was her fault. The glove didn't fit. Man, who says he's guilty?" But now that Achashosh calls all the calls all the shots, thanks to none other than. Haman himself, Haman has dug his own grave. And now we come to the grand finale. This is an original idea. We started the question. Why does Megillah's Esther begin that Achashverosh taxed the people? This is the question of the Briskarah. So I was learning Sefer Ezra a number of years ago. Ends. Ends. What did I say? Thank you very much. Ends. With that Achazur attacks the people. In Sefer Ezra, we read about, about 10 years later, Jewish people are returning to rebuild the second base of Mekdash. And at that point in time, the king of Persia was a man by the name of Darius, Daryavesh, the son of Achazurosh. And Darius is continuing in the ways of Kairesh, and he's allowing the second base of Mikdash to be rebuilt. The problem was the Jews did not have the financing to rebuild the second base HaMikdash. So they turn to Darius, and Darius says, look, why don't you do a charity campaign? So they didn't invent that yet. So Darius says, you know what? Take a look at number 43. I issue a decree. Please cooperate in with these elderly Jews. We know in times of the second base HaMikdash, no young people returned. They had no interest in going back to Israel. Only old people who were in their 70s returned. Not that if you're 70, you're old. You're still young. But any old, cooperate with the elder Jews to rebuild the temple. From the royal estate. From the tax money. Give them immediately all the tax money. And I ask you, where did Daryavesh get all the tax money from to rebuild the second base Hamikdash? The answer is, Achashurah taxes the people. He drops dead. Darius inherits all the money and he funds the second base Hamikdash. But watch how the Purim story has come full circle. Watch how this is the most appropriate way to end the story. The story begins, Achashverosh is having a party. What's he celebrating? That the Navi Yermia said the temple will be rebuilt in 70 years. And the temple wasn't rebuilt. So if it wasn't rebuilt, Achashverosh was celebrating, it will never be rebuilt. And he brought out the Kalim of the Beis Hamikdash. And the Rebbe is laughing. Really? The Beis Hamikdash will never be rebuilt? You will be the chief fundraiser to rebuild the second base of Mekdash. But it's more than that. Achazerosh, this very party that you're celebrating, what is this party celebrating? Achazerosh, it's celebrating the temple will never be rebuilt. No, you fool. This party is the party that's going to rebuild the second base of Mekdash. Because you're going to call Vashti to come. You're going to get angry at her. You're going to knock her off. Because of that, you're going to marry Esther. You're going to have a kid... Yavesh, and you're going to give him all his money, all your money. So Achashverosh thought the party was celebrating the rebuilding of the second, the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. 
In reality, the party of Achashverosh laid the groundwork to rebuild the Bayasheni. That is why Megillus Esther ends that Achashverosh taxes the people. So you'll say, okay, that seems to be the way the Rebbe Shalom works in the Megillah. First of all, why is the Rebbe Shalom working this way? Says Rabbi David Tevel, the student of Rabbi Chaim Belazhar, the reason the Rebbe Shalom works this way, with Moshe Rabbeinu, with Ivadia, in the Purim story, for a very important reason, because we're in the Gullahs, and we don't see open miracles. We're not going to see the splitting of the Red Sea. We're not going to see the Mun come down from Shamayim. So how can we know definitively that it's the Yad Hashem? So you say, well, you know, so many coincidences of the Megillah, it had to be Hashem pulling the strings. Well, yesh l'bal Maybe you'll uh, play devil's advocate. And you'll say, no, there's nothing miraculous about the Purim story. That Vashti didn't listen, she was arrogant. That Achzeros killed her, that's what kings did. That he married a Jewish girl, it could happen. What is the most incontrovertible element of the story that we know this is definitively the Yad Hashem? The fact that Hashem says, I don't need to knock off the Russia. You give me the Russia. You give me the greatest anti-Semite in history. You give me his plans, his scheme, his machination, and I will hijack it and co-opt it and use it to bring salvation to the Jewish people. Achashverosh thought he was celebrating extravagantly eternal destruction of the temple. That was rebuilding the Beis HaMikdash. So you say, okay, that's a nice story that happened 2,000 years ago. Let's demonstrate how this is the manner of Hashkacha throughout Jewish history. I'll give you two amazing examples. You ever hear of Lakewood Yeshiva? No. Yeah, you heard of it? No. You know, you ever heard of New Jersey? Who built the Lakewood Yeshiva? Rav Aaron, right? That's what you thought. But actually, Lakewood Yeshiva goes back about 400 years. There was a, a, a man and a woman, a king and a queen who embarked on a mission called Reconquesta, where they were going to eradicate all Muslim influence in the Iberian Peninsula, and they were going to make sure the Jewish people have no homeland, no haven, no opportunity for observance, no yeshivas, no shuls, no religion. So on August 2nd, Tisha B'Av, 1492, they expelled 300,000 Jews. On that day, they get a knock on the door. What would you like, Christopher? Well, I have this great idea. I'm going to expand Spanish influence. What, do you want to be stuck in the Iberian Peninsula? You want to expand to the whole world? So they said, okay, good idea. Who's paying for it? King, queen, you pay for it. You're going to finance my discovery because it's going to spread Spanish influence throughout the world. I'm going to discover a new, a new Medina. They said, you can't leave today. Today is the Inquisition. You can leave tomorrow. We have evidence. We have a record from a cabin boy who left on August 2nd, Tishabab. His ship pulled out of the harbor. He's being expelled from Spain. This cabin boy writes that on Tishabab, August 2nd, as he's leaving Spain forever, he waves goodbye 
to the Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria that were docked in the harbor ready to set sail the very next day on Friday. Do you think it's a coincidence that Ferdinand and Isabel, the first to say the Jews will never have a haven, God is laughing and saying, really the Jews will not have a haven? You haven't seen nothing yet. You're going to pay for the discovery of the United States of America. Who is responsible for the Lakewood Yeshiva? And I know there are a lot of plaques there, but here's the plaque that they haven't put up yet. This space medrash is dedicated by Ferdinand and Isabella. And if you think that's funny, if in the second base Hamikdash there was an area called Shushan Habira, recognizing that the seeds of the Binyan Bayasheni was from Shushan Habira. Now let me give you one last example. This was a gift, I don't know, last year, Friday night before uh, Purim, I opened up a book, it's called In the Footsteps of Eliyahu Anavi by Rabbi Beryl Wine, and something there that I had never seen before really struck a chord in me, and this is a modern day open miracle. 1948, War of Independence. People don't know we were losing the war. If I were to ask you in the last 200 years who's been the, which country has been the greatest enemy of the Jewish people? Germany, right? Probably not. Russia. By far. In the 19th century already, Russia had a plan to exterminate the Jewish people. People think Germany invented systematic extermination. No, the Russians invented it, but they weren't good at it. In Russia, if you need something done, so you want a car, you give them $27,000 and they tell you Come back to the dealership March 15th, 2052. That's how it works in Russia. You say morning or night, right? They say morning or night. It's, it's 30 years. The plumber's coming in the morning, right? So the Russians had a plan in the 19th century to uh, murder a third of the Jewish population, to expel a third of the, po- of the Jewish population, and a third would just disappear and become acculturated. That is why in the late 19th century, more than 2 million Jews fled Russia. And under the Tsars, and under the Bolsheviks, and the greatest butcher of all time, Joseph Stalin, and somehow, God put in his insane, brutal mind, in 1948, that the Jews who were fighting for a homeland, they were socialists. So, so Stalin said, the socialists, they'll probably be Marxists and communists. So they're better off in the Middle East than a democratic Britain. So Stalin funded the war of independence. If not for Stalin, there would be no state of Israel. Not only that, not only that, Stalin sent troops to fight the war of independence. Not only that, when the vote was put to recognize Israel, Stalin voted in support of a Jewish homeland. God says, you think I need good people to bring about what I want to accomplish? You give me the biggest butcher in history. I will use him to create the Mir Yeshiva with almost 10,000 Bukhrim learning today in Yerushalayim. The state of Israel, Joseph Stalin. But, Stalin saw that even though it was socialist, there wasn't going to be communist. And he saw Ben-Gurion was currying favor with the United States of America. And he, had, he didn't about face. 
He had a major turnaround. And this agitated him to no end. He was so upset that in 1953, he created the doctor's plot. The doctor's plot was he accused six or seven doctors of poisoning Soviets in the hospital. And Stalin built railroad tracks to Siberia. He built concentration camps. And his plan was that on March 6th, he would eliminate every last Jew in the Soviet Union. This is a fact. He had built the tracks. He had built the camps. This was going to go into effect March 6th, 1953, exactly 70 years ago. That year, Purim fell out on Matzoi Shabbos. Rabbi Yitzchak Zilber was reading Megillah Esther. And after he finished, he turned to the people in the camp. He said, you see, 2,000 years ago we had a Stalin. And look what happened to him. Yeshua Hashem Keheref Ayin. We don't know. Yes, Stalin has this plan in, in uh, motion. Stalin was going to finish off what Hitler didn't finish. But you never know. Hashem brought salvation from a Haman 2,000 years ago. Who knows what can happen today? Yeshua Hashem Keheref Ayin. And there was one really aggravated person there. He said, what are you telling us? Nonsense, fairy tales, what happened 2,000 years ago. This is, do you know who Stalin is? Stalin was strong like an ox. He was nerves of steel. He had already killed 20 million of his own people. And Rabbi Yitzhak Zilber said, Stalin is a bust of a dumb. A human being doesn't even know what's going to be in 30 minutes. This is what he said at 7.50 p.m. At 8.23 p.m., Stalin, that ox, stroked out inexplicably. It's, it's, it's impossible to understand. Stalin, he had a stroke. Said Rabbi Yitzchak Zilber, Purim night, 70 years ago, 1950. Says Rabbi Yitzchak Zilber, if I know Tehillim today, it's because I had this moral dilemma. Can I daven for someone to die? And I said, yeah, yeah, you could daven for someone to die. So I said the entire Tehillim again and again and again and again and again. The doctor's plot was set to go into motion on March 6th. That Purim, thousands of Jewish prisoners ran out of jail. Stalin's dead, Stalin's dead. He wasn't dead yet, he just had a stroke. They called doctors, doctors. There were no doctors. All the doctors were in prison. All the doctors, all the Jewish doctors were in prison. Rabbi Yitzhak Zilber, Davin, Davin, Davin. And on March 5th, the day before Russian Jewry was going to be exterminated, Stalin died. At his Levaya to honor Stalin came Clement Gottwald, president of Czechoslovakia. Also, not a good guy. A mass murderer, Stalin's dearest friend, Gottwald, allowed 100,000 Jews to escape to go to Israel. What? He couldn't contain them. Stalin got so angry at Gottwald, so to defend himself, Gottwald shot his entire government. Gottwald came to Levaya on March 5th at the Levaya when they were staying in the Kelmale for Stalin. Gottwald stroked out and he died on the spot. And buried next to each other, Stalin and Gottwald, they both were in their coffins right next to each other. 
This was a Purim miracle 70 years ago exactly. So the Hashgacha of Megillah's Esther was not an isolated event. How often we get caught up, you know, the Jewish people, we need this man in office. We need this president. We need this prime minister. We need this... Yeah, we have to do our Hashtablas. But give the Rebunisha more credit than needing our guy in office to accomplish what he needs to. The Rebunisha says, you want inspiration? Who needs Yermia? Yeshaya? Moshe? Haman was the biggest Mekarev Rechaikim in the history of the world. Gedoyla, Nesinas, Tabas. When Haman took off the ring, when Haman accepted the ring of Achashverosh, that elicited the greatest tshuva movement and the greatest Kabbalah Satara in history. Says Yavashtam, don't think I need your man to carry out my mission. We always have to recognize, why was Esther Zoyche to be the instrument and the vehicle of Geula? Because Chazal say, maybe She didn't take credit for herself. She said, Mordechai told me about the plot. Okay, it's a very nice midah. But why does that render her worthy to bring salvation to the Jewish people? Says the Maral, the Rebbein Shem only needs to do one thing and accomplish one thing to save us. He just needs us to recognize that it's only Him. It's not Him and the Prime Minister. Him and the President. Him and you. The Rebbein Shem needs us to recognize Ein Lanu Melech Goyel Umayshia Ela and if people would come to Esther and say, oh, thanks for helping us be redeemed, Hashem knew Esther would say, it ain't me. It's the Rebbe How do we know Esther would say that? Because she never took credit for herself. She had the midah that when something happened, she would say, it wasn't me, it was Mordechai. So certainly when people would say, thank you for your part in the Geula, she would say, it's not me. It's the Rebbein The greatest Goyal of Chal Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu. Look in the, his book, the Haggadah. His name isn't mentioned. Why? That's exactly why he was chosen. Because he had the Midah of recognizing and deflecting all credit to the Rebbein So this is the lesson of Megillah Sester. The Rebbein doesn't need any help. We do our Heshtadlus, we try to put the best man in the job. But the Rebbein doesn't need our help. And this is how the Rebbe operated from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu to Megillah Esther to the expulsion of Spain to miracles in our own time. We should all be Zoycha, all of Klal Yisrael, Yeshua, Svenachamois, the Klal, and to all of our lives individually. Thank you very much. If anybody wants the book, there's still some copies available. How are you? What?